Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. And new this year, we've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents a sister of St. Therese, servant of God, Leonie Martin, bearer of hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola, and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. A sister of St. Therese, servant of God, Leone Martin, bearer of hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Now, a word on the set of letters into which we're moving at this point. When Leonie entered the visitation for this fourth time, she knew that she needed the help of her family. And so rather boldly, she wrote to the superior of the Carmel in Lisieux and asked if her sisters could write to her once every two weeks, which is sort of unheard of in cloistered life. You just don't have that kind of regular communication amongst family members. The mother superior balked a little bit at this But my guess is that Leonie's sisters knew that she really would need this. This was not just because she would enjoy getting letters, but this was really a vital life support in a sense for her. And so a compromise was reached that Leonie could write once a month and that they would reply once a month. And out of this came the mass of letters that will be approaching now. I'll just give some of the figures on this. So letters written to Leonie. Uh, conserved, and because not all of them were conserved. For example, in the first five years of Leonie's life in this fourth attempt in religious life, none of the letters to her were conserved. So the, the real number would be larger than what we have, but nonetheless. So we have conserved 343 letters from Pauline to Leonie, 444 from Marie, 307 from Celine, and of course we have the handful of letters from Therese written that we've already looked at, so that she received well over a thousand letters from her sisters. And then as for her own letters, 342 of Leonie's letters have been conserved. So we have this wealth of exchange between the sisters, which is a gold mine. About the richest source, I'd say 
certainly for this phase of her life, it unquestionably the richest source of information. Uh, a gold mine because what we're able to see is the gradual development in Leonie over these years. Actually, all of these letters are available online to anyone who wants them. The Carmel in Lisieux has done a wonderful service. They translated all of these letters into English, and they're all available on the website of the Carmel of Lisieux. They have not yet been published in Italian, a volume. They've been published in Italian translation, but I was not able to find them in any other language. But we do have them in English available on the website, so anyone who wishes can have access to them. So that's just to indicate the source that we're approaching at this point. Now, Leonie enters the visitation for the fourth time on January 28th of 1899. She's 35 years old at this point. And three days after she enters, her aunt, Isidore's wife, Celine, writes to Leonie. And I'd like to read just a little bit of this because it's just nice in itself, but it also allows us to get a window into her aunt, who was just an exquisitely loving woman. Uh, everyone who writes of her, relates to her, they all just really appreciate the goodness in her. Receiving your letter this morning, so Leonie has immediately written upon her arrival, brought us great joy. I was expecting it, for I know you keep your promises. So she's obviously said, I'll write as soon as I get there. Your uncle was particularly happy as he read your deeply heartfelt and affectionate letter. The emotion he felt when you left, dear little Leonie, did not make him ill. He has a number of physical struggles at this point, and apparently that's why he was not able to accompany Leonie on the trip to the monastery, the visitation monastery. And their fear was because she had become so much a part of their household, their own two daughters had left the home. So Leonie was very central to their life during the years that she spent after her failed third attempt in religious life and until she makes this fourth attempt, which is uh, four years that she spends with them, and she's become an integral part of the family for them. So it's hard for them to have her go. Thanks to God, his health seems to be steadily improving. But I won't hide from you that the house seems huge to us and that we both miss you, my darling. And part of why I want to quote this letter is that um, we just get a retrospective insight into what Leonie meant to them during the years that she was with them. Besides, you must be thinking it. I'm not teaching you anything by saying so. In other words, you, you know how much you mean to us and how we're missing you. It was to be expected. And what we must do now is to serve God in whatever capacity he calls us. So her faith is so much at the fingertips of this wonderful woman. I'm not surprised that you received a warm welcome from the Reverend Mother and all your new sisters. You already get an indication that the climate has changed in the monastery. I'm very grateful to them. You needed to be shown lots of motherly affection on arriving. I could see you were suffering greatly, and I myself was suffering for being unable to drive you there. Now, my guess is that what she's saying is that her, her husband couldn't go with Leonie probably for health reasons, and for reasons that her aunt doesn't specify, she herself was also unable to accompany Leonie. So it may have been that Leonie took the train by herself. Of course, all her sisters in the convent, and none of them can come. If so, that would have been a hard thing for her. So her aunt is really happy to know that the 
initial reception went well, that she's been received with such tenderness, which she knows Leonie really needs if this is going to work. In any case, my darling, I myself was suffering for being unable to drive you there. I would have really wanted to go with you, but for whatever reason it was, she was unable. Was she caring for her husband in a way he needed? Who knows what it was. In any case, my darling, now you have fulfilled your desires. May God continue steering your little boat so that it might arrive safely at port. Your year of hardship is over. Now you're beginning a new life, one that you are already a little familiar with. Progress courageously and rely heavily on God. Entrust everything to him, just as you were doing, and expect everything from him, while working as hard as you can on your side, of course. We'll do everything in our power to help you. It's true that our prayers are very feeble, but God will hear your name often. She goes on with some further details, and then she concludes, I will leave you now, dear little Leonie. I send you our deep affection as always, and lots of love and kisses from your uncle and myself. United to you in prayer in the heart of Jesus, please give our respects to the Reverend Mother, your aunt who loves you with all her heart, Celine Geren. I would imagine that, at least I would, maybe it's wrong for me to presume this, but that the family, her guardians, as it were, those she was in their care and was living with, may have received some assurances that she would be treated differently this time before they even put her on that train. Do you think that that's plausible? I think so, in the sense that, I mean, not that somebody from the monastery would have communicated directly with them, but they would have known, as Leonie knew, that there was a new wind blowing, so to speak, in the monastery now, and that things were different, which gave a whole new hope that this might work out. So I'm sure they would have known that. If Leonie knew that, certainly they would have known that, you know, probably through her. All right, this is two days after her aunt's letter, and this is Leonie's first letter to her three sisters in the Carmel, now that she's in the visitation. So, my religious, beloved little sisters, so my religious life has begun. Yesterday I joined the novitiate on a firm footing, resolved to walk the right path, whatever the cost. I think you can already hear in there that this is not that naive confidence and exuberance that we saw in some of her earlier attempts. Even the vocabulary is already indicating that. There's a new maturity here. Resolve to walk the right path, whatever the cost. I am perfectly happy and under strong and gentle direction. There's the big difference. That's what will, again, make the difference in her life. And under strong and gentle direction, which in no way resembles the others, my earlier experiences. Oh, how can I put into words the deep motherly tenderness which God has put into the hearts of my directors? No, I never have found a truer and deeper affection. It exceeds anything I ever imagined. You know, it strikes me as we read this that Leonie didn't need much affection to blossom. Even the slightest affection to her just caused her to blossom. And here she's getting an outpouring of it, you know, from the sisters in charge of her. When I joined, I was quite moved, yet full of trust. And my first words after throwing myself into my mother superior's tender arms were these. I will leave here, it's true, but only in a coffin. 
So she's determined this time that she is not going to leave. Then I spent quite a while before the Blessed Sacrament, and though I was mute in his presence, I felt that Jesus understood me, and this was enough to bring me deep peace. Our little Therese has shown me, and so she's deep now in the story of a soul, has shown me that she is continually by my side, by means of a strength which motivates me in everything I do. If her three living sisters will accompany her through their letters, Therese, she is firmly convinced, and she has the experience that Therese is also accompanying her spiritually. Our mother said to me a little while ago, Do not be afraid. You'll see, your soul will swell with contentment. Her prediction came true to the letter. Darling sisters, see how spoilt I am. I'm permitted to have the portrait of our angel, Therese, in the cell. So they're very strict on these things. Normally, what you have is limited only to the bare essentials. But these are the signs that this time, the people in charge are not insisting on every last detail of austerity, but they understand her needs. So it's a small sign, but this is the kind of thing that multiplied in their treatment of her is making the difference. I'm joyfully making the most of this permission, and when it is taken away, I shall be happy all the same. I'm ready to make all the sacrifices asked of me. At the moment, I am so little and so weak that I still need treats. So she needs this extra permission just to see the image of Therese whenever she's in her cell as an encouragement. She's humble enough to say, I'm so little, I'm so weak that I need these things. She's very grateful for them. Maybe later I won't, they'll be taken away, but now I need them. And it's in the same way that with a kind of wisdom, she asks for these regular letters from her sisters, which will play such an important part in her life. I want to grow and stay little at the same time. So she's absorbing Therese little way. My only ambition is this to hide like the humble violet under the leaves of perfect submission so that my superiors can do with me exactly what they please, which is her way of wanting to be completely available to Jesus. Now, let's just note that she says, my only ambition is this, to hide like a humble violet. And she's actually referring to Therese's story of a soul at this point when she sees herself as a violet. And I'll quote something, one of the biographies of Leonie, probably the first one, as far as I can see, it's the first one, has this title, God Made the Violet Too, uh, The Life of Leonie's Sister of St. Therese. This was written in 1948. As I say, as far as I know, this was the first of the biographies of Leonie. So it's actually written only a few years after her death. And it's written by a Carmelite priest, Father Albert Dolan. American priest who died in 1951. He was a very fine preacher, a writer of popular spiritual books. He wrote over 50 of them. Early on, he became very drawn to Therese, and he became really the, the principal propagator of devotion to her in this country. Of course, through many of his writings, he founded the Society of the Little Flower. Hundreds of thousands of people joined this. He built a shrine to Therese in New Jersey. And so he was one who introduced millions of people to Therese. He actually met Leonie. We'll see that a little bit later. We'll look at that meeting. And he wrote about his meeting with her. When he writes this biography, Leonie, this is the title. He gives it, God Made the Violet Too. And he's quoting in the, at the very beginning of the story of his soul. Therese has this 
discussion of this question, I, I used to wonder, why is it that God gave such heroic, great sanctity to some people and seemingly so much less to others? You know, great saints like Teresa of Avila and Augustine and so on, and others who seem to have a much humbler situation. And then she said, looking at flowers, I understood it. Of course, the rose is, stands out among the flowers for its beauty and its perfume and the rest. But if you didn't have the lilies and the violets and the daisies and the others, you wouldn't have the, the tapestry of beauty, which you see if you go out into a field or out into nature. The beauty comes from the tapestry of all of these flowers put together. And this is where God made the violet too. And that's what Leonie is referring to when she says, I, I want to be a humble violet. I'm not trying to be a rose. I'm too weak. I'm too limited to ever try to be like the great saints, but I can be a violet. Father Dolan comments this. In that passage, St. Therese gives us, in effect, a summary of the life of Leonie. And we shall see that the humble violet of the blessed garden of the Martin family had fragrance, special grace, and beauty of its own and reveals very eloquently the wondrous workmanship in the Creator. God made the violet too. And that's the sentence that uh, he uses as the title of his book. So that's what Leonie is referring to here when she says, my one ambition is to be a humble violet. Our dear sisters in the novitiate are very good to me. I already love them very much. Our little novitiate consists of two professed nuns with black veils, a choir novice and two turn sisters. There were various degrees of belonging to the monastery at that time. Since the council, all of that's been removed, but they were there at that time. I am the only postulant, but soon I hope to have a companion, namely a former pupil of our dear visitation of Caen. And this is, uh, as I mentioned, others of her earlier companions are returning at this time. Leonie enters in January of 1899. And her formation progresses and everything is on track. Not that she has no struggles, but this time everything is proceeding uh, in the usual way. She receives the habit and then the decision is made that she will be admitted to profess her vows. There were no temporary vows. So the admission to profession of vows really was the point of definitive acceptance into the religious community and the commitment to live this for life. And that was the point that she had never been able to reach in her preceding three attempts to enter religious life. This time, uh, usually what happens is the superiors and the sisters in charge of formation meet and they discuss the individual. They make a decision as to whether she should be admitted to final vows. And the decision is now made uh, in the spring of 1900 that Leonie will be admitted to perpetual vows. This means that the long years of wandering and struggle and uncertain future are finally ending. I want to read a letter from her sister Pauline when she first learns that this is going to happen. And she writes to Leonie. So this is May 14th. Leonie will profess her vows on July 2nd. So obviously the decision has recently been made and Leonie has informed her sisters in the Carmel of this. Her sister Pauline, Mother Agnes of Jesus and Religion, is writing her response to Leonie. Beloved little sister, what a joy! Exclamation point. What a surprise! Exclamation point. This news just comes when she's not expecting it. 
It made me weep with happiness. There are no words to convey my feelings. We haven't forgotten, little sister, that we promised you your crown of roses for the day of your profession. Pauline and the others will do these um, these little acts of great love for Leonie throughout all the remaining years. And they've told her that when you profess your vows, we want to be the ones to make the crown of roses that you'll wear in the ceremony because the sister professing her vows, her espousal with Christ, would be dressed like a bride. And they wanted to be the ones to make the crown. And it would have the significance of Therese, you know, roses from the Carmel in Lisieux. So, very much like a sister, tell us what you'd like it to be made of. Do you want there to be buds in it? What pictures would you like for the keepsakes? It is our mother who wants me to ask you these questions, that is the prioress in Lisieux. But above all, tell us when the big day is, because they don't yet know. Maybe, uh, most likely, Leonie herself at this point doesn't yet know. I see from your letters that you are really happy. I'm so grateful to your dear mothers. Oh, please keep telling them that we'll try to show how grateful we are by praying for them. Goodbye, darling sister. What else do you want me to say? In heaven, you'll know everything that goes through my head and heart about you. And so the prophecy of our dear aunt from Le Mans has come true. Can you remember how struck we were to read in one of her letters, I cannot help but believe that this child will become a visitation nun. I send you a big kiss, sister. They all do this in all their letters. They send kisses through their letters. I send you a big kiss, little sister, at the risk of ruffling your little white veil, the one that will soon be replaced by that of the professed nun. So she has the white veil that the novices wore to be replaced by the black veil of the professed. And then she says, I can't believe it, exclamation point. Your loving little sister, Agnes of Jesus. And then she adds, our dear Reverend Mother and the whole community share in your joy. About a month later, also in view of her profession, we have a letter from her uncle Isidore to Leonie. Beloved little Leonie, and so your boat has reached port. Many crosswinds thwarted your arrival because God saw fit to let you ripen and make you worthy of the great honor you sought. You know, it's striking me as we're reading these letters from these various members of the family, those who are religious and those who are lay, like the aunt and the uncle here, just how central their faith is to everything and how they see everything in the light of God's workings in their lives. You no doubt owe this result to the abundant graces that God gave you in reward for your perseverance. So he names it too, that perseverance. Yet you also owe it to your dear and capable mother superior who guided you and helped you to avoid the pitfalls. I share in your joy, my darling, because I feel that a part of the honor given to you is reflected on me. I think that for the last 22 years, so that was when she was 14 and the family moved to Lisieux, and now that she's 36, so for the 22 years that she's lived in Lisieux, you have been like a daughter to me and that your aunt and I have striven to prune your faults and imperfections, not without great difficulty at times. This is really, again, we'd get sidetracked, but Isidore could be a little more blunt than the others in the family. He's being very loving here, but this is Isidore being loving. Now that's all over. My mission is entirely complete. God gave me seven daughters, his own two and the five Martin sisters, after the death of their mother. And I have given six of them to him, 
As for the seventh, that's his daughter Jean, who's married, living out in the world, she is sanctifying herself with her holy husband through suffering. And strikingly, the one thing that he's focusing on is the uh, response to God of all of his children, living the life of holiness. What an honor this is for me. What immense graces I've received, particularly over the past four months. Father Hodierne, who knows about them, wasn't afraid to tell a young missionary the day before yesterday that some, that is some of these graces, could be qualified as miracles. Help me to thank God, my darling, when you pronounce your vows. Ask him to give me patience and, and that's uh, the letter, the rest of the letter is not given here. Probably patient in his own illnesses that he's dealing with at this point. But those letters are interesting because they give, as I say, a kind of retrospective look at the love that they all have for Leonie, the goodness that they see in her, and the awareness of her struggles and their concern for her, and the immense delight that finally the long uncertainty is resolved and she is settled for life at this point, and in the way that she'd so longed for. Now we have Leonie's own letter to the first letter that she writes after her profession a month later to her three sisters in, uh, in the Carmel. And at this point, she has taken the religious name that she'll keep for the rest of her life. And she is Sister Françoise Thérèse. So the Thérèse from Thérèse, her sister, and Françoise from St. Francis de Sales. And so in the name, you have the two pillars of her spiritual life, henceforth, these two saints, who fit so well together, actually, in their sense of gentleness and of God's love and encouragement. So she says, Beloved little sisters, What do you make of this overly long delay? It's been a month since the profession I haven't written. I'm counting on your indulgence, which fortunately never lets me down. I've had many urgent letters to write, it's true. Which is interesting that we have the letters that Leonie wrote to her sisters, but she obviously wrote a good many other letters. And I'd like to hope that someday, uh, I imagine someday this will happen if her cause uh, goes forward. And I have a I don't really, as I've said, have any doubts that it will, that the entirety of her letters someday would be published. It'd be wonderful to have them all. I've had many urgent letters to write, it's true, including one to Mrs. Modalone, that was the Modalone family who were cousins to the Guerin family, who sent me a superb bouquet for my profession. If only you had seen the altar that day, all you could see were lilies. She's very much as the woman's appreciation for these things. As for your delightful letters, dearest sisters, so they've all been writing to her in the meantime, how can I describe my emotions as I read them? They were against my heart for the precious and too brief time that I spent under the funeral pall. So a part of the ceremony is as a sense of, we don't do this anymore in these ceremonies, but as an indication of her leaving the world behind, she'd be prostrate and a funeral pall is laid over her for a while and she prays in silence. Actually, In profession ceremonies and ordination ceremonies, you still do have the prostration, but of course without the uh, the funeral pall, but at that time you had it. And if I read her letter correctly, she had these letters from her sister held in some pocket of her habit or pinned right at her heart. So her heart would have been touching them at that point. That's how dear and important they were to her. I had so much to say to Jesus during that brief time of quiet prayer. However, I don't think I forgot anything. What a wonderful day it was. We've never heard Leonie use the kind, this kind of language, which will follow. 
nothing could disturb my perfect calm or the heavenly peace with which my soul was flooded. Never, no, never have I been so happy. Striking, 36 years, and this is the happiest day of her life. Like our beloved little Therese, it was without regret. And Therese says that of her own day of profession in the story of a soul. In the evening of this heavenly day, I watched as my pretty crown was removed and placed at the feet of the Sacred Heart and the Blessed Virgin, because time won't take away my happiness. And then here's what really makes her happy and is the final settling in in her life. For I am the spouse of a God and will remain so for eternity. And that's what her profession means for her. When I awoke the next day, I was so happy to be able to press my profession cross against my heart. If you look at pictures of Leonie, you'll see that the Visitation Sisters have a, a cross that hangs around their neck, and you see it. It's, a, it's not overly large, but it's part of the habit. That's what she's referring to here. I was so happy to be able to press my profession cross against my heart. This blessed cross has cost me so much, and we've seen the long and troubled and difficult journey toward it. I said to myself, I have it this time. Nothing can take it from me now. The cross of which I speak is the silver cross containing relics that we conspicuously wear day and night on our chests. Further details, and then she concludes, I send you my love, little sisters, and all the affection that my heart is capable of giving. It's such bliss to fully belong to Jesus. You've been listening to A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leonie Martin, Bearer of Hope, with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it on the Discerning Hearts free app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for A Sister of St. Therese, Servant of God, Leonie Martin, Bearer of Hope with Father Timothy Gallagher.